Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Let us know if you know these people or not. Okay? You know a guy named uh, John Clark? You don't know John Clark? You know a young lady named Lisa Straub? No? He was with me that night. We were at the bottom line, watching the football games. Do you have any explanation as to how a cigarette with your DNA got into the Straub house? For Sam Williams, September 22nd, 2011, started off slow. He told me that he kind of got up late uh, that day. Um, he was just kind of living the street life. Those are the exact words Williams later used when he talked to WTOL lead investigator Brian Duggar. I was living the street life. Yes, I was um, I was engaging in criminal activity. I, I did. I, I call myself a petty drug dealer. I wasn't this big-time drug dealer where I made a lot of money, but I made a little bit of money, enough money to survive, enough money to take care of my family and my kids, pay the bills. You know, he was selling drugs. He was uh, promoting prostitution, his girlfriend. He actually had involved in prostitution, and and he would kind of party late and uh, get up late. So he kind of got up. He was out of cigarettes, and he... Um, his brother had come by to um, get some drugs or something like that, and he asked his brother to go down to the uh, store and pick up some cigarettes for him. He said, well, yeah, I'll go down and, and get them, but I don't want to have come back in the house, so why don't you come with me? You know, I'll get you some cigarettes and I'll just drop you off. I was low on cigarettes, so I asked my, my brother ended up coming over to buy some drugs from me, and then he... Um, as he was leaving, I asked him, I said, hey, can you go down to the corner store and buy me a pack of cigarettes? He said, I'll run down there, but I don't want to come back in. He was like, just come down there with me. So I was like, well, all right, I'll run down there. Williams and his brother stepped outside and started walking across the street to hop in the car. All of a sudden, uh, squad cars, undercover cars, all kinds of people came swarming into the area. They kind of grabbed him, put him down on the pavement, and arrested him. And as soon as I crossed the street on Spring Grove, then all of the unmarked cars, the U.S. Marshals and the, the detectives in the Toledo Police Department had uh, pulled out their guns and laid me down to arrest me. And you had no idea why? Absolutely not. When I uh, talked to, like, they was asking me questions, obviously, what's your name? You know, who are you? Why do you got all this money in your pocket? Um, at that moment, 
I had said to him because I had a warrant for one of my domestic violence charges that I pled to and I was put on probation for. At that moment, I was like, I got 30 days in jail. I really don't care to do the probation. When they catch me, I'll go do my 30 days and I'll be done with it. Williams wasn't exactly surprised he was being arrested. But what did surprise him was how many officers were on the scene. And he asked the guy, he said, you guys really go through all this trouble for a misdemeanor warrant? And the guy kind of, uh, you know, laughed and said, apparently. So when I was in the back of the the Toledo police cruiser on my way to the county jail, I was trying to engage in with the officers and ask them um, what was I arrested for. And they said, it's bigger than me. He said, if you don't know, you will real shortly. Did you go to college? I'm going right now. Really? Where are you going? Owens. Cool. What are you studying? Sitting across from two detectives in an interrogation room at the sheriff's department, Sam Williams says he still didn't know what was going on, why exactly he'd been arrested. And the detectives are in no rush to let him in on it. What year did you graduate, Clay? Or did you graduate from Clay or Wade? No, I got the GED. What year? Um, 2010, last year. Do you play football? Yeah, for elementary. You didn't play in high school? I know they had to ask. Dude, you gonna play football? Huh? Too busy getting in trouble. Oh, man. It's too bad. You look like a natural athlete. They're in that, Clay's in that new league now, that track league. Are you working at all? Go to school full-time. Full-time student? Okay. Don't really have time to do nothing else. The two detectives casually ask about any outstanding warrants. But Williams tells them he knows something else is going on here. We didn't look yet. There are, are there any child support warrants or anything like that out for you? I got a misdemeanor, <laughs> a misdemeanor probation violation. They got to go do four days. That's what I thought all this was about, but I know it's beyond that. Just from what dude was telling me out there. After another five minutes or so, the detectives read Williams his Miranda rights, and he tells them... He's not interested in answering questions. Do you want to talk to us? Only thing I want to know is what, the, what is it about? All right. And that's it. Other than that, I'm going to wait for my lawyer. I'm not talking at all. I didn't do nothing. I don't know what this is about. Like I said, they would have called me or sent me something in the mail. I could have come down here like Sorry. a civil human being. I didn't have to be humiliated like that. All right, Sam. Nobody meant to humiliate you. Right. You know how you know how that shit runs. You're in you're in criminal justice. Yes. You know how sometimes things jump off and go down. Okay. Couldn't be helped. That was not an intention to make you look small. So what? My face just came on your guys' desk and said, "Go get that man," and well, you guys just went came no, we'll, we'll get into that. All right. You, you got to be patient with us too. All right. But the interrogation doesn't end there. Part of the reason a judge would later suppress Williams' statements in court. Instead, the detectives start asking about the crowd Sam Williams hangs out with. Detective's going to run a few names by you, okay? Let us know if you know these people or not, okay? You know a guy named uh, John Clark? You don't know John Clark? You know a young lady named Lisa Straub? No, don't know. Johnny Clark, you don't know Lisa Straub? This interrogation is taking place a little over seven months 
after 21-year-old Johnny Clark and 20-year-old Lisa Straub were found murdered with plastic bags duct taped around their heads in Straub's parents' home in the suburbs of Toledo, Ohio. If it weren't already clear, these detectives aren't interested in domestic violence, drugs, or William's outstanding warrant. They want to know what happened on the night of January 30th, 2011, inside that Holland home on Longacre Avenue. But Williams says the names don't ring a bell. The detectives show him a photo of the Straub home, which Williams says he doesn't recognize either and has never been to. You sure? I'm positive. All right. All right. 100% positive. All right. A few minutes later, the detectives again ask about that house, about what happened there seven months earlier. Can we get to the to the meat of what we want to talk to you about then? Go ahead. We had a no problem at that house last winter. Did you hear anything about it? No. Okay. A couple of kids were found dead in there. Uh, young adults. And... Uh, they were probably the victim of a burglary. They got bum-rushed in the place. You know what we're talking about, bum-rushed? Somebody just crashes in on you and maybe robs you or burglarizes your house. I mean, you know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. So that's what happened to these young couples. So how did my name get brought up in this? Science. Science as in forensic science. I don't understand how. Well... Remember when these guys respond to a scene and they go in there, you're a criminal justice major, right? You cordon off the area, everybody that is involved in that scene goes in, they start collecting evidence, okay? These guys collected a lot of evidence and they had a lot of evidence tested for DNA. Do you know what DNA is? Okay, explain to us what you think DNA is. You, saliva, whatever. Saliva, poop, piss, skin cells, hair, follicles, all that stuff gives up an individual's individual characteristics. Do you buy that based on what you've been taught in school? I haven't. I'm only doing my, like, Basic courses right, right. now. I'm not doing They that. will tell you soon enough that DNA is like fingerprints. You know, there's no two fingerprints that are alike. There's no two DNAs that are alike. Each of us have a separate one. If they tested Jeff here, his had come up with a certain row of numbers that mean something to the scientists. They tested you, you'd come up with a different bunch of numbers in a row that mean something to the scientists. But yours wouldn't be like Jeff's. If I spit on a cotton swab and they did my DNA, numbers would come up. Mine would not be like yours. Mine would not be like his. We're all separate. Just like if they took our fingerprints tonight, your fingerprint would be different from Jeff's, be different from mine. Mine would be different from him and from you. You understand where we're going? Where they're going, as you might have guessed, is that DNA evidence recovered at the Straub home is the real reason Sam Williams is sitting across from them in this interrogation room. Items in that scene came back with your DNA on it. Okay? How do you explain that? How can we explain that? I have no idea. 
You've never been to that house. Never been you to that house. You don't know those kids. I don't know them people. And your DNA's in that house. I don't know. You have no idea? No. Do you understand where that puts you? Do you understand where this is going? The detectives tell Williams this is the most important day of his life. But during the hour-long interview, Williams says six times that he doesn't want to talk and asks for his attorney. I had told him, this conversation is over. I want to speak to my lawyer. So why didn't you just say, I have no idea what you're talking about? Why would, I mean, why did you at that point say, this conversation's over? Well, I'm not, uh, how, how do I say this? Um, I have been incarcerated before, right? And I know that murder cases are um, very serious. Um, this is a very serious crime. And I didn't know at that point if they was using that as a tactic to get me to talk or what the intention was. However, I knew that if I spoke to my attorneys, I would be able to find more information out that was more accurate to me and they would have my best interests. That's the reason why I did that. What Williams didn't know in this moment is that investigators had found a cigarette butt inside the Straub home with his DNA on it. Well, when the first deputy showed up at the scene, he found that cigarette in the corner near the garage door. And at some point, in September of 2011, they finally got the DNA back on that cigarette. And on the cigarette was the DNA not only of Sam Williams, but also his close friend, Cameo Petaway. The DNA was enough to secure the arrest of Sam Williams and this friend, Cameo Petaway. And from there, the case against Williams was about to get a boost in the form of a jailhouse informant, a guy named Eric Yingling one of several inmates that came forward with supposed information about Sam Williams. And, you know, I actually talked to Eric Yingling, and he told me that, you know, Sam just went, shut up. You know, he was very specific about what it sounded like when the bags were over their heads. And he told police a lot of, you know, information that, that he claimed Sam was telling him. Now, Sam, of course, tells me a much different story. He said, look, I'm not the type of guy that's going to just go up to somebody in the jail and spill my guts, particularly, you know, explaining how I murdered two people. Yingling came up to me in jail and he tried to talk to me, but he said I didn't have one single conversation with him about my personal life and certainly about this case. At first, when Yingling goes to police... It seems like it's going to be one man's word against the other. Until he mentions a specific detail, he says Sam Williams told him about the crime. He told me that he was telling the police a lot of information. And at one point, he uh, said, Sam Williams said that he found a bunch of funny money in the house. And they're like, oh, what, what do you mean by funny money? And and he said, well... Williams said, described it as Saddam Hussein money that they found in the house. And he said that he wasn't able, he didn't take it because they didn't know 
what they could possibly do with it. But there was $4.5 million worth of Iraqi dinars. I mean, that's Iraqi dinar value. I think in the American dollars is $4,500. Yingling says the prosecutors started to take him more seriously after he mentioned this Iraqi currency being in the home. And Yingling told me at that point that the air in the room just changed. The detectives, prosecutors looked at each other and they kind of ushered him out of the room. And and later his lawyer talked to him and said, nobody knew that information about that money other than the homeowners and obviously the people that broke in. So the fact that you knew about that showed them that Sam knew something that only the killer could know. But it turns out that's not exactly true. Detective Kozak actually testified at trial about the fact that nobody else knew this information except for the killers and the homeowners. And what I found out is that this information was on a search warrant that was executed a couple days after the killing. And the contents of that search warrant were released to the media. So it not only appeared on um, in the local newspaper, on local TV station, but it was also the, con- the content of, um, of a conversation that uh, occurred on CNN. So they had a... Uh, conversation, and you can actually pull the transcript from the CNN newscast, and you see right in there they talk about the Iraqi dinars, and that was in early February. So certainly, the information that Eric Yingling told police was known to the public, and he actually testified in court that his wife would pull a lot of the information about the case and feed it to him so he could tell the detective. But what I was able to determine is that every bit of information he told police was already publicly known. Another key piece of evidence used at trial would come in the form of calls Sam Williams made from the county jail after his arrest. But WTOL would later obtain transcripts of the calls, showing that the jury was only provided pieces out of context of the entire conversation. For example, in one call made to his nephew, Williams stated, quote, I effed up. I'm going to be in here for a long time. At trial, prosecutors pointed to this quote as an admission of guilt. But the rest of the conversation suggests another explanation. Williams would later tell Brian Duggar he was angry that he left drugs in his home. He was saying that he messed up because he had left a bunch of drugs in the house that he needed to sell in order to get a lawyer. And he was afraid that somebody was going to swoop in and steal it. Sure enough, in a later part of the call that wasn't played for the jury, Williams explains to his nephew how he should climb up a pole, get on his back roof, and push in an air conditioner to get inside and get the drugs. In another one of these calls, Williams tells Cameo Petaway's brother, quote, that was supposed to be me and you, but you know little bro had to step to take your spot. The brother responds, quote, you know he didn't do it right like I would have did it right. To which Williams replies, no, but he did it good enough to make something happen. Prosecutors told the jury they were talking about the night of the murders, about how Cameo Petaway had to go with Williams because the brother was in jail at the time, and that Cameo Petaway didn't do it right, possibly by leaving behind that cigarette. But again, there's another explanation that 
the jury didn't hear. He said that was a prostitution trip that uh, he and Cameo made to uh, Pennsylvania, and Stephen Petaway was supposed to be with them on that trip, but he was locked up at the time, which, again, we verified that. When I say that he didn't do it right but did it good enough is by the laws of promoting prostitution, in my eyes, he wasn't doing it the way that Stephen has done it in the past. But he was making money at doing it, okay? Um, I call him a petty pimp. Now, he really wasn't making uh, a lot of money, and when he did make money, he was spending it on the wrong things, in my eyes. That's what I mean by that. So this conversation was about prostitution. Total prostitution. There was also a third call introduced at trial in which Sam Williams referred to Cameo Petaway as Killa, which doesn't look great in the middle of a murder trial. But again, there was additional context not given to the jury. You know, I talked to Cameo's family, and they said that was always his nickname from when he was in junior high because he always told people people that he was going to be a famous rapper and he was going to write Killa lyrics. So prosecutors only took that out of context. And when you look at the entire conversations, you can certainly see uh, Sam's point. But the outcome of the trial was he was found guilty. Um, He was found guilty on all counts. And this was a death penalty case. And the jury had to go back and they had to consider whether they wanted to Um, give him the death penalty and you know they deliberated and and they deadlocked and so what he ended up getting was life in prison with absolutely no chance of parole Cameo Petaway was also tried for the murders but his trial went a little differently than that of Sam Williams Cameo Petaway was tried at the same time in a different courtroom. Again, Cameo's DNA was also on that cigarette with Sam William. And the judge in that case actually threw out the case after the prosecution presented, you know, all their evidence. You know, the judge said anybody could have taken that cigarette and placed it at the scene. You have not proven that this man had anything to do with it. Even if that cigarette was there, it doesn't mean that whoever dropped it committed this murder. So the judge threw out the case, and and Cameo was immediately a free man. Sam Williams has now spent more than a decade behind bars with little else to do but think about the night of January 30th, 2011. And now he says he can account for his whereabouts throughout the entire night. It was only after he was arrested and he was in jail and some family members went back, according to him, to his Facebook. And they were able to see that he was at a uh, birthday party for his cousin's daughter. And that later that night, he had gone to the Bottom Line Bar where he and several friends had uh, watched the Pro Bowl that night. William says he met up with a friend named Eddie after that to celebrate Eddie's cousin's 21st birthday at midnight. Brian Duggar has confirmed that this person exists and that their birthday is indeed January 31st. He's also talked to Eddie himself. So Eddie, in an interview with me, he said, that's exactly what happened. Me and my cousin, you know, we finished watching the Pro Bowl, which ended at about 1045. 
uh, we headed to the bar. Um, Sam was there with his girlfriend, or Sam calls her his mistress, uh, because he was in a serious relationship with the mother of one of his children at the time, and he was seeing this girl on the side. Her name was Destiny. This woman, Destiny Madrid, would back up the story in an interview with police. He was with me that night. We were at the bottom line, watching the football games, with his cousin Larry Gauhaus, and it was his cousin's 21st birthday. Me, Larry, and Sam left, went to go pick up Larry's car, and we went back, me and Sam went back to his sister's. He had to pick a couple, pick up a pair of clothes. Why, when um, somebody, you were told that what what murders, mm-hmm. and they said Johnny Clark and Lisa Straw, right away you knew what they were talking about? Yeah, because I, 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 like, like I said, I've seen it on the news. And you back in January. The I, I remembered it because she's like, it's January 31st, and I'm like, he was with me because it was, that was, I want to say six days after my 21st birthday. And he wasn't with me on my birthday, but he was like, because I, I don't know if he, he said he was out of town. I don't know where he was because I didn't talk to him for like four days at a time. I did not talk to him. We were fighting, did not talk to him whatsoever. Finally, he's like, look, I'm sorry for the argument we had, whatever. So we made up. We met up. Took me out, went to the bar, had a couple of drinks, went to his, his sister's house. The detectives tell Destiny they have video footage from the bar that night and that she and Sam Williams aren't on it. But it's a bluff. They don't actually have the footage. Even still, Destiny doesn't budge. All right, what if I clear it up for you? What if I tell you that you're not on the video at the bottom line on that night? What do you mean? The bottom line has video. Right. You or Sam are not on that video that night inside the bottom line. Or whatever bar that was. Was it the bottom line? Yeah. yeah. We were sitting right by the front door. Like, oh, that okay. table by the front door, it was like right. right there. There was four seats. And I don't know who the other guy that was with us, but I know it was me, Sam, and Larry. And then there was another person, but I don't know what his name was. But we were sitting like... Here's the door and the table, like, right there. We were sitting right there. Like, what was that TV that night? The NFC football game. The NFC. Oh, the championship game? Yeah. Yep. It was, I want to say it was a Sunday. To be honest, I want to say it was a Sunday that we were there. Because Sundays they normally have karaoke, but I think the karaoke was not there that night. So it was either a Sunday or it might have been a Tuesday, but... I'm pretty sure it was the Sunday because the NFC football game, the championship game was on that night. Here's Sam Williams himself telling Brian Duggar what he remembers about that night. I know that I was at the bottom line bar watching the Pro Bowl with a few other people, which one was Destiny Madrid, the girl that got arrested on my case. Um, My cousin Larry Gilhouse was there. Eddie Flores um, was there and there was other people that was in that bar, obviously. Did you pay with a uh, credit card that night? No, I did not. Everything that I paid with was all cash. He said he remembers it very vividly because it was before midnight. It was 11 o'clock and they 
Eddie talked the bouncer into letting his cousin in a little early. The bouncer said, yeah, he can come in as long as he doesn't drink anything before uh, midnight. Johnny Clark's last phone call with his friend Tiffany, the one that first raised concern in which he was heard shouting, bro, what are you doing before hanging up? That call took place at 10.41 p.m. To my recollection, I believe I was at the bar that entire night, at least until last call. And at last call was, I believe, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, after that, there had um, been conversation that we was going to try to go to another bar and, uh, you know, still try to get that last, that last beer in. And uh, I can't remember exactly where I went to specifically. However, through my phone records, it can show that I was nowhere other than the east side of Toledo throughout that whole night. So, Sam, do you have any explanation as to how a cigarette with your DNA got into the Straub house. I have no explanation. I know I did not place that there. Um, from the picture that I have seen and from the information that I heard in my trial, they did not smell any smoke in that house. That cigarette butt did not leave any marks on the floor. That, um, that cigarette butt was placed by that door so investigators can find it. I know that to be true. Is it unusual that yours and Cameo's DNA would both be on that cigarette? Um, there you, has been you, times in the past that me and him have smoked after each other. So it's not unusual for that to happen, no. So you believe that you were set up? I believe that I was set up. I believe that Whoever done this placed that cigarette butt there to throw investigators off. And I believe that with the past record that I had and that promoting prostitution charge that I had, um, Detective Kozak arrested me on that case. All right. Do you know why somebody would try to set you up? I don't know because there was DNA from me and Cameo on there. I don't know specifically if it was me or if it was Cameo. However, I do know this. People have known that I have um, been in trouble before with the law. So if they thought that, wow, oh, this guy put this cigarette butt out and this would be a good way of throwing the police off. Um, he's already been in trouble before, so possibly his DNA is already in the system. Do you know who might want to set you up? Do you have suspicions? Um, I really couldn't answer that question for you, no. Throughout an hour-long interview with Brian Duggar, Sam Williams insists that for all he has done, all the illegal activity he has been a part of. He's no killer. It hurts me to know that I may have to spend the rest of my life in prison for something that I didn't do. It, it does, it hurts me for that. However, 
I still have hope and I still believe that there is DNA that proves my innocence and there is good people out there that is willing to help and find the justice for Lisa, Johnny, and myself. Whatever you make of Sam Williams' story or his conviction, we do know one thing for certain, that there is more to this case. If Williams was involved, he had help. And if he wasn't, Johnny and Lisa's real killers are all walking free. Yeah, detectives definitely believe that there's more than one or even two people that were involved in this just because they're able to overpower Johnny and Lisa. And, and you know, Sam Williams and Cameo Petaway's DNA was found on a cigarette, but it was found nowhere else in the house. However, on the duct tape around Johnny's ankles, the duct tape around the back of his neck, the inside of his sweatpants pockets, and on his cell phone, on the keypad and the battery, and the actual phone itself, there were several sets of unknown DNA that were found. There were up to four sets of unknown female DNA, and there were one or two other sets of unknown male DNA. And there were at least 40 people who submitted DNA in this case, you know, friends, family, um, people the police believe may have had motive. And the DNA, it, it hit, again, none of them. The only DNA hit that investigators got was on that cigarette. There could be other explanations for some of these unidentified sets of DNA. For example, the DNA on the tape, could have come from the manufacturing process. And DNA on Johnny's clothes could be from his grandmother, who would regularly do his laundry. But that still leaves us with multiple unidentified sets of DNA that are harder to explain. So at this point, you know, police are looking into using advanced uh, DNA um, technology such as uh, familial DNA testing, like genetic DNA, where they can kind of break it down and, and find all kinds. I mean, it's, it's solved several cases in recent years. So that's something that Lucas County has never done before, but they're looking into doing it. And I just learned that a couple days ago, that they're looking, they're reexamining the DNA to see what additional testing they can do. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson here with Reed Redman and Spencer Brudig. Reed, this case has so much going on. I know that this has been a two-parter that we've been listening to over the last few weeks. What is the status of this case now? I mean, I know Sam Williams has been convicted. He's been behind bars for 10 years. But tell us more about the status of this case as a whole. It's It's always been technically an open case. I don't think anyone has ever said... Sam Williams acted alone. So it's it's never been closed. Um, but it hasn't always been actively investigated in the 10 years or so since this happened. Uh, it's actually after Brian Duggar put out his investigative series on this case with WTOL um, that the sheriff's office started getting a little more involved. They reached out to family members and committed to continuing to look for answers and, and essentially reopening the case in that sense. Um, and the big question mark moving forward is still those unknown sets of DNA. There's some hope that 
Um, maybe genetic genealogy might help track down those individuals. That's something that didn't really exist when this was first being investigated. And there's actually a really high-profile genetic genealogist named C.C. Moore that wants to get involved and has reached out to the sheriff's office. So, so maybe that'll lead somewhere. Reed, were there other suspects and people that investigators looked at then and continue to potentially look at now? Yeah, there have been a number of people investigators have looked at over the years. Um, I'd recommend checking out Brian Duggar's investigative series because this is such a, a complicated story. But but none of them could be tied to the scene as of yet with physical evidence like Sam Williams was. One person that we didn't talk about yet, um, but Brian Duggar looked at in his reporting for WTOL is a woman named Alex Cousineau, who was sort of in this friend group by the sound of it. Detectives looked at her pretty closely because um, she had a falling out with Johnny Clark. She said Johnny and Lisa had underpaid her for a dog that she was selling and that she was, um, according to her, talked into buying a car from Johnny that she didn't really want to buy. Uh, one of the wheels fell off, something like that, and they got into a big argument. Uh, Johnny's family claims that she threatened him. We don't really have any other verification on that. Um, and it doesn't look like Johnny and, and Alex Cousineau were in contact regularly around the time of the murders. But then days after the murder, she texted somebody, quote, I do this, fam. Watch the news. They get duct taped and tied up and left for dead. Don't know what exactly that's supposed to mean. Uh, her DNA, though, was taken. Wasn't a match for any of the unknown DNA sets found at the scene. Uh, there was another friend named Anthony Watson who was supposed to be meeting up with Johnny that night. Uh, he's actually since told detectives that an unidentified woman told him she was there with Sam Williams when the murders happened. And then in 2018, uh, this this guy, Anthony Watson, was shot to death outside his apartment. His murder remains unsolved. So there are clearly a whole bunch of different rabbit holes you can go down with this case. And, uh, you know, Brian Duggar's reporting is a good place to start. Reed, I, I, I know that a few years after these murders, John Clark Sr., so John's Johnny's father, right, was involved in another case. He was arrested. Tell us more about that. Yeah, as we heard pretty much from the 911 calls in part one of this story on, John Sr. and Maite Clark were suspicious of Tiffany Williams, the friend who was on the phone with Johnny Clark during that uh, suspicious phone call. Um, that's that's their, their belief is that she was somehow involved. She's never been charged in the case. Uh, but in 2014, there was an attempted murder plot involving John Sr., uh, Johnny's father, Maite Clark, his mother, and a Toledo police lieutenant. And the accusation was that John Sr. fired two gunshots at Tiffany Williams, just missing her head. Uh, both parents were charged with attempted murder. They ended up pleading guilty to uh, lesser charges. So John Sr. was sentenced to four years in prison for felonious assault with a gun. Maite was sentenced to two years for a retaliation charge. Uh, and then the uh, the now former police lieutenant, Frank Ramirez, was accused of firing a gun and covering up evidence. I don't know the details on that, but he ended up sentenced to about four years in prison. Um, and the charges were tampering with evidence and obstruction of justice. All right, True Crime Chronicles fans and listeners, uh, we've been doing this show for, what, years now, Spencer. And uh, almost from the very beginning, our good friend and colleague, Spencer Brudick, has been a part of the show. Spencer is heading off 
to take on new challenges. Who knows what's out there for him? But uh, Spencer, we couldn't thank you enough for all you've done for the show. We hope to have you back on and uh, hear your voice again. But in the meantime, uh, what we're not supposed to say goodbye, right? Yeah, maybe aloha. Uh, it, it's been great having you on. And, and this show is, uh, it takes a lot of work and uh, research every week. And it's been great, uh, again, once again, to have Spencer Brudig with us for, for years now. So uh, best of luck to you, man. Hey, thanks so much. It was, uh, it's, it's been really fun, um, working on the show with both of you. I think I jumped on episode 14 and now what we're well over 120 episodes. So, uh, I hope to be on uh, in the future and, um, look forward to, uh, hopefully continuing to work with you guys. All right. Well, in the meantime, Reed and I will forge ahead Spencer and we'll be back as always next week with a new case and a new story. <laughs>